0: I wonder if you have ever given a little bit of thought to something, and that something is this. Have you ever noticed how much our Bibles talk about food? From the beginning of the story, food is a central concern of the Bible. In both of our creation stories, we've got a cosmic creation poem in chapter 1 of Genesis. And in chapter 2, we have a prose narrative about the garden. In both of these creation stories, the first gift that God gives to humanity is food. Some of the other central stories of our Bibles all surround food. The Passover story and the way that we retell the Passover story year after year after year revolves around food. The rest of the biblical feasts, almost all of them are surrounded by food. And in these feasts we remember not just what God has done for us in the past, but what God is still doing, what God is still providing for his people. If we think about it the sacrificial system, it was built on the premise that God would be pleased with the food offering. Biblical commands to tithe revolved around food production. Those whose business it was to produce food were always commanded to leave food available for those that were less fortunate. Justice in the Bible, justice almost always has to do with food. Over and over again in the Bible, God ensures that the hungry are fed. God's will for the hungry to be fed is named throughout the Bible from the Torah to the Psalms to the prophets into the Gospels and the New Testament. God wants people to be fed. And if God wants people to be fed, you might expect to see a lot of these stories where miraculous provision occurs in the face of desperate need. The story that we read this morning in the Gospel comes from a long line of stories of miraculous provision On God's part one of the most foundational of these stories one of the most important stories that we have in our Bible that gives us a picture of this comes in Exodus chapter 16 as I tell you a little bit about this story from the Exodus narrative I want you to listen for some of the parallels that happen in that story with the text that we read this morning in this story in the Exodus The people of Israel have just been liberated from their enslavement to Egypt, and this means that they're just beginning a trek through a desolate wilderness. And as they begin this trek, they begin to grumble. They start to complain, and they start to moan, and they start to blame their leaders, Moses and Aaron, the people that led them out of slavery. They start to blame them for this hunger and thirst that they feel. These are people who've just witnessed the miraculous. They've witnessed 10 plagues. They've walked through a sea that had split, and then the sea had caved in on an army that was pursuing them, ensuring that these people would be free. And as they go their first few days into the desert, they're actually given sweet water when God tells Moses, just toss a stick into this pond and the water will become good, and the people drank. And as they move past that pond it says that they find a desert oasis a place that contains 12 springs and 70 date palms These numbers these aren't just meant to be taken literally symbols 12 springs and 70 date palms of Israel have enough to eat and drink and even take sabbath in a desert But the moment that these people start moving beyond that oasis, the moment that they leave that safety and that security, they start to complain. They say they want to go back to the very place in which they were forced to work for the good of somebody else. They were forced to produce for a different kingdom. The reason for their grumbling, I think, is not really that hard to understand. Under the empire, as bad as it was, they knew that if they just did enough work, if they gave everything that they had to that empire, at the end of the day, there would still be food on the table. Unfortunately, food has its nefarious uses in the Bible as well. Food was used as a tool of the empire to ensure loyalty and submission, I do have some sympathy for these folks that complain. Those that want to go back to what they think was a golden age. They are moving forward into an unknown place, and this unknown is scary. This unknown that Israel is moving into is a literal desert, a place where, by definition, sustenance is almost impossible to come by. I can understand the fear. And so the people grumble. And God hears their grumbling. God hears the fear behind this grumbling. And in this story in Exodus 16, God responds. God says, I will rain down bread from heaven. You will know that it is the Lord that hears you cry because I will give you meat in the evening and all the bread that you can eat in the morning. And then God simply does it. God miraculously miraculously provides the whole multitude of the people in the desert. And in Exodus 16, 18, it says that everyone ate their fill. Everyone had enough. Every single one of them ate and was filled. This story of this miraculous provision of food is a story that begins this narrative of the people learning to trust this God as a king. In this empire, in this kingdom of God, they don't receive food because of their work. They don't earn it. They don't deserve it. They receive, God, receive food simply because God hears that they are hungry. God hears that they're afraid. God knows their need, and God has compassion on them. They receive food simply because God cares. I think you probably hear a lot of the parallels to our story this morning. Just like in the Exodus story, our story this morning starts in this lonely and arid, desolate wilderness. And just like the Exodus story, our story starts with this multitude of people that have no food. And just like in the Exodus story, in our story, food is miraculously provided. And it's explicit, just like in our story, that everyone has enough. Matthew, we know, we see over and over, Matthew wants us to connect Jesus with Moses. Moses partnered with God in leaving people out of their enslavement all the way to the threshold of the promised land. And Matthew wants us to know that Jesus is doing the same thing, that Jesus is rescuing people from that which enslaves them and that he's providing for them as they move into unknown, scary, desolate places. There's one more similarity uh, between these two stories that I wanna share with you. It's a little bit harder to see because we didn't read the passage in the gospel that comes just before this feeding narrative. Remember the multitude in Exodus. They wanted to go back to Egypt. The story of that Exodus feeding is framed against the food that the people received from the empire. In Egypt, they knew that they would eat They remembered what it was like to live under that empire, and despite the danger and the violence done to them, they want to go back. Our story in Matthew's gospel is also contrasted directly with the food of the empire. Did you hear how this passage started this morning? Why was Jesus heading out into this wilderness? Why was the crowd following him into the desert? The passage begins with this, when Jesus heard this, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew to a deserted place and the crowds, when they heard this, they too withdrew. Our passage this morning begins with Jesus and the crowds receiving a piece of news, hearing something that drives them out into the desert. The story that happens right before our gospel reading this morning is a a flashback of sorts that Matthew provides for us and tells us what this piece of news is that Jesus and the crowds received. The news was that Herod and Tippus, this Roman-appointed ruler of Galilee, had arrested Jesus' cousin. John the Baptist had been criticizing Herod. Herod took his own brother's wife as his own wife. And as you might imagine, Torah-observant Jews were not too happy with the situation. So John the Baptist began to publicly criticize Herod the Tetrarch. Josephus even talks about this in his histories. John openly condemned Herod. Herod had him arrested, but he was a little too afraid to do anything more than that. He threw him in prison But he was afraid to do anything more because he knew that the crowds loved John. He was scared to risk an insurrection. And so it was only after a feast that Herod finally did what he had wanted to do all along. At this feast, he and his guests were so enamored or captivated by his young niece's dancing that Herod promised her just about anything. And this girl... In support of her mother, asked for John's head on a platter. And Herod complied at that very feast. This is the piece of news that drives Jesus and these crowds into the wilderness. They're going out and mourning and in grieving. The Roman Empire was proud to name itself as the provider of sustenance for all those that were lucky enough to have been conquered. Rome considered itself to be the breadbasket of the world. Roman emperors even had coins minted with their face on one side and on the back pictures of loaves and fishes. But what we know is that this bread, this bread of empire, comes with violence, that this bread comes at the cost of freedom, That the bread of Egypt and Rome is only given in exchange for dignity and submission. But in our story, when Jesus sees the crowds out in that lonely place, it says that he has compassion and that he begins this feast by healing the sick. The word choice for uh, for this healing, by the way, is kind of interesting as well. The Greek word for healing here is the word that we get our modern word therapy from. And the word for sick is kind of an interesting word as well. It's harastos, which in the Greek literally means the powerless. And so this word therapy also means to serve. Jesus provided therapy. Jesus served the powerless. Jesus saw these mourning and grieving crowds, and he had compassion, and he served the powerless. Jesus' feast, like this feast in Exodus, begins with compassion. Jesus sees the need. And the food at this feast is served at no cost. Jesus does not demand life or work or labor or loyalty from this crowd. He doesn't strip them of dignity or freedom. He just serves them. The interesting part about this story, I think, is that while it does say that Jesus serves the powerless, Jesus is not the one that feeds the crowd. When the disciples grow concerned that the healing is taking too long and that the people have no food, the the disciples suggest that we take the people back to the villages, send them back to the marketplace where they can provide food for themselves. Jesus instead, though, does not send them back. Jesus tells the disciples, you give them something to eat. The task must have seemed next to impossible. We've got 12 disciples and we've got 5,000 men and countless more women and children. And these 12 disciples must look at this crowd and think, how are we supposed to do that? All we've got is five loaves and two fish. The task is far too big and the, the resources are far too small. But again, this isn't a feast of the empire. This is a feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus takes the loaves. He looks to the heavens and he gives thanks and he acknowledges that even in the scarcity of the desert, his God can provide. He blesses and he breaks the loaves and he hands them to the disciples and he says, you feed them. You give them something to eat. And so even though this task was massive and even though these resources are few, every single person there was fed. Jesus tells these disciples, you feed them. We've been talking about discipleship this summer, and there's plenty to learn about what the word disciple means, what discipleship is, what is a disciple supposed to do. I think that this story is one of the best examples that we have of what a disciple actually does. Disciples are here to do the work that Jesus gives them. We are the means by which God's work is done in this world here and now today. This week, I saw a video from an organization called World Vision. They're an international relief uh, organization that tries to connect resources from the church with needs around the world. One little line in that video, it was even kind of a throwaway line, um, really stood out to me. As I thought about it more and more, this line really kept coming back to me. This video said, behind every crisis our world faces is a hunger crisis. Behind every crisis that our world faces, there is a hunger crisis. The Ukraine war is a crisis and it's causing innocent people to go hungry. Droughts and floods and extreme weather are causing people to go hungry. Somewhere around 10% of our world's population, 800 million people live on less than $2 a day. And these people are going hungry. Friends, we are the disciples. We are the ones that are offered a meal, but then also told, go feed them. Give them something to eat. There are really practical ways that we can answer this call. You can bring food, donations, gift cards here to this church, and we'll give them away through our ministries, through Mission Central and the Hope Center. You can find organizations like World Vision and UMCOR. UMCOR is the United Methodist Committee on Relief. They respond around the world to crises in all different kinds of places. It's even as easy as this. You could find somebody in this room. You could find a family in this room and you can take them to lunch. You don't have to start with the whole multitude. Just take the bread that you have, the bread that you've received, and share it with the people that you encounter here and now. I hope that maybe you've noticed that this feast that we've talked about, these feasts... The feast of Exodus 16, the feast of the feeding of this multitude on this hill, in this desert, points us to one more feast. At the Last Supper, just like in this story, Jesus breaks bread and he feeds the disciples. And today we are invited to come to that same table.